right. It's encouraging to see how quickly sometimes these opportunities pop up. It's nice to sometimes we, we do a really good job, I think, of planning things. And we also have a decent amount of on-the-spot flexibility. So I am looking forward to seeing what the Lord is going to do through Lorenzo and Aurelia this next year and through Oak Ridge and our partnership with our sister churches. So I'd like to, again, remind you, talk to me later on if you're interested in the open house tonight. I'll give you the full details. And we are going to dive into Obadiah. So Obadiah... As, a, as an introduction for those of you who are new, maybe visiting, or if you're listening on the live Zoom, or you're listening to this archive, and you just pick, you just pick randomly, Obadiah, what the heck is an Obadiah? Let's listen to this. So what we are doing as Oak Ridge Community Church is we are preaching through the Bible. It's going to be about a two-year journey, and we are covering one book a week. And it is literally impossible to do justice, even to Obadiah, even though it's only 21 verses long, impossible to do justice to a book in one Sunday. So why are we doing this? So why we are doing this is because we want, it is appropriate for us to have an overall vision of what Scripture is. It's appropriate for us to see how the Old Testament fits together with the New Testament. It's appropriate for us to be, to educate ourselves and understand the nations, Israel and Edom and the characters and David and Jehoram and Jesus and all, how all these things work together and how God created his word and steered his people and built his church over the span of thousands of years. It is good for us to understand this. And I trust, and Pastor David trusts, we trust, that your appetite will be whetted by these drive-by examinations of these books of the Bible. And something may spark your heart and your mind. Well, follow that spark. Follow that inspiration. Follow that interest that you might have. Dive in. Read. Ask questions. Challenge one another. Had a great conversation with Shirley yesterday. We were driving around in the car and she, she offered some feedback on my message from last week, something she thought I could improve on. And it was a really good point. So these things are, and talk about them at your life groups. Talk about them in your homes, on the ways, as you're walking with your children. Talk about God's word. Share it with one another. Give us, give us, your, give us your thoughts and feedback. And by the way, we, I printed out about 70 copies of our note sheet from today. If you need a note sheet, please raise your hand. Mr. Chris Erler would be happy to bring you a note sheet and a pen, if you still have them, brother. And if anyone needs a note sheet or a copy or a pen or something like that, raise your hand and Chris will take care of you. All right, so let's dive in to Obadiah, the shortest book of the Bible, the 31st book in our Bible at least the way we organize it. Just some brief historical context and facts about Obadiah. It was one of the earliest books written. One of the earliest books written. The 840s BC, the 9th century. You see a lot of what's happening in Obadiah is unwinding in Second Chronicles. And it is overall, it's 21 intense verses about the judgment of Edom and God's establishment of Israel and Judah as his as his people. It's a prophecy of the day of the Lord. It's the victory of Israel. And before we get too far along, I talk about it's a judgment of Edom. Edom can be one of those churchy words, right? You have all these nations that surround 
that are in Canaan, they're in Palestine, Edom this and Ammon that and Moab whatever. We, these things are not things and pieces of geography that we're normally associated with. So I've added the handy map here. On the, you can see that Edom is a kingdom. It's on the southern part of Judah. It's closer, somewhat in between Israel and Egypt. It is a historical enemy of Israel. And it is also distantly related to Israel as well. So what does the Bible, before we go and see Edom's judgment, let's take a look. I want to take a look and see what does the Bible tell us about Edom? What does the Bible tell us about Edom? Well, you know, it's a surprising amount, actually. So first of all, Edom is the nation descended from Esau. Esau, okay. Another church word, another church name, Esau, Esau, Esau. Kids, kids. Does that name sound familiar, Esau? Kids, raise your hands if anyone's heard of Esau. There's a hand. I knew I'd get one hand at least on that. Kids, have you, there we go, there's two hands. Thank you. Have you heard of Esau before? Have you heard of him? Yeah. Esau had a brother, didn't he? Whose brother? Who was his brother? Adelaide, who was his brother? Say, say again. Jacob. Jacob, you're right. Esau had a brother. His name was Jacob. So someone else, another kid. Who was Jacob and Esau's father? Yes, sir, and back. You're right. It was Isaac. And again, I'm wrong. <laughs> but they are descended from Abraham. See, you got to hold the you got to hold the preacher. You got to hold. He stumped the preacher. Thank you very much, Xavier. Let's get back on the let's get back on the safer ground. How many sons did Jacob have? Two. Good guess. That's a start. What else? Other, other, other children from other families. He had 12 family. He had 12 kids. I knew you guys were paying attention in Sunday school, even if I forgot one of my details. What nation, here's another one, kiddos. What nation grew from Jacob's 12 kids? There you go, Israel. Okay. So let me ask this question, a little more advanced, kiddos. Which nation went to Egypt... When there was a famine, the Edomites or the Israelites? Israel, who said that? Very good. Good job. We got two families involved. I love it. That's right. That's right. The Israelites went to Egypt when there was a famine. Israel went to Egypt. The Edomites stayed in Canaan. I mean, they weren't invited, but they did stay in Canaan. So the Edomites were, essentially, they were cousins of Israel, and they stayed in Canaan. And the Israelites, they made a lot of mistakes, of course, and we read all about that earlier when we went through the Pentateuch. The Israelites followed God, though, through the desert. They followed God, and he instructed them. The Edomites, they didn't even try. They followed the idols of Canaan. They followed the idols of Canaan. 
So they were, even though they were related, they followed the idols of Canaan and they were completely different people at that point. Here are some additional details about Esau and the Edomites. I'm not gonna, we're not going to turn to each one of these. These notes are on your sheet, and you can see some of, the, some of the things that we know about Esau, Jacob's brother. He was the firstborn of Isaac and Rebekah. See, I got that part right. He moved to Mount Seir, which is south of Judah. And one interesting thing is when the Israelites came out of Egypt, they wanted to travel through Edom on their way to the Holy Land, the Promised Land at that point. And the Edomites said, nope, you're not coming through. And they had to turn around and go a different direction. That was not helpful. The Edomites were eventually conquered by Saul, and they were governed by King David. They were governed by Israel for quite a long time. And then after the kingdom divided, Edom rebelled against one of the southern kings. His name is Jehoram. And that's found in 2 Kings. And Edom, they did not help what happened then is when, when they rebelled, another nation invaded Judah and distracted them, and Edom stayed free, and Edom didn't help Israel when those people came in and invaded them. Eventually, Edom was conquered by Babylon, Babylon along with Judah, and believe it or not, some scholars think that Herod the Great, he's from the area south of Judah, that Herod the Great was actually related to Esau and the Edomites, which is a very interesting point. So, why is Edom getting the hammer by Obadiah? We're going to read, in a few minutes, we're going to do a group exercise. We're going to pause, and you're going to read, and you're going to, you're going to, you're going to read Obadiah in small groups, and you're going to see the details of, of the judgment against Obadiah, against Edom. But let's take a look, why, why is Edom getting the hammer by Obadiah? First of all, Edom is an idolatrous nation. So they never even tried to follow God. Israel and Judah were called back to faithfulness, even though they didn't listen. Edom never was there in the first place. Second, as we just described, Edom had a history of not helping their kinsmen. And that deserved special call out. And of course, the first time was when Israel entered the promised land. And this is, let's take a look here in Numbers chapter 20. It says, the kingdom of, the king of Edom replied, Israel came, Moses and Aaron were there. They said, can we come through? They said, no. The king of Edom said, stay out. You may not pass through our land. And with that, he mobilized his army and marched out against them with an imposing force because Edom refused to allow Israel to pass through their country. Israel was forced to turn around. At this point, Israel was just wandering folks. They had no army. Edom had an army and chased them out. The second time, it was after Israel split into two kingdoms. And then after Israel split, Edom rebelled against Judah. The king of Judah at the time was a guy named Jehoram. And honestly, it's worth examining for just a moment. Jehoram was a piece of work all by himself. He was not a great guy. So first of all, he was the son of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was a nominally good king. He started off good, didn't end up so great. And Jehoshaphat let his son Jehoram become king and the first thing Jehoram did after becoming king was to kill all his brothers, which wasn't all that uncommon in the ancient world or even in the medieval world, but it's not something you would expect from people that were followers of God. Jehoram killed all his brothers after he became king. Then he married a woman named Athaliah, who happened to be the daughter of King Ahab. 
And King Ahab is one of those names that kind of echoes through history. Most people have heard about it. King Ahab was one of the worst kings in northern Israel. And him and his wife, Jezebel, were just infamous for evil. And they had a daughter named Athaliah. And the king of Judah married the daughter of King Ahab. What are you thinking? What are you thinking? An evil guy killed his brother, married the daughter of the king of Israel. Now, from Ahab's point of view, pretty darn smart. Pretty darn smart. This guy's already kind of a weak, evil guy, and he's going to marry my daughter. I'm going to have two kingdoms for the price of one. Two kingdoms for the price of one. And maybe you're wondering why. Well, there's a lot of nasty stuff going on here. In this, in this ninth century. There's a lot of nasty things here. You got Ahab who and his, his sons who are already a mess and Athaliah who's a mess and Jezebel who's a mess and Jehoram who's a mess. Why is, why is Obadiah preaching against Edom when it's just a huge mess in his own backyard? Well, no need to worry because if you get the timing in your mind correct, you'll realize that Elijah... And Elisha are, are, are alive during this time period, too. I think Elijah had the prophet angle covered pretty good for Israel at the time. And Elisha had the prophet angle and the message to the kingdom of Israel pretty good during this time. Obadiah was commissioned by God to talk to the Edomites and to address their evil and to address their betrayal of their kinsmen. So there's, there's a picture. There's a picture of what's happening in the ninth century BC, 3,000 years ago. It all ties together. It all ties together. It's a very rewarding thing if you dig into this. So what happened is Edom rebelled. The king of Judah, Joram, retaliated against Edom. The Philistines invaded Judah and kept them from taking the Edomites back. The Philistines defeated Jehoram and sacked Jerusalem, meaning it destroyed the city and stole a bunch of stuff. Edom remained free from that point forward, and they stood by while Judah suffered at the hands of the Philistines. So there's all the context you need to know about, about what's happening. So now we're going to take, with that context, what I'd like you to do is we're going to break down into small groups you can, you can break down as a family if you want. Recommend no more than like four, six maximum. And I, what I want you to do is we're going to do an exercise that we have in our life group sometimes called the three parts. We're going to read a passage, and you're going to ask, what does it say about God? What does it say about man? And what is there for me to obey? And the first reading is going to be Obadiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. And we're not going to take a huge amount of time on this. We'll probably, we'll just take a few minutes on each one. But this way, we're going to actually read through an entire book of the Bible on the day that we're, we're talking about it. So what I'd like you to do, take, go ahead and break down right now. Turn to the people next to you. Turn to the people behind you. Read Obadiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 14 to one another out loud. It'll be pretty noisy, and that's okay. And then, we will, and then we'll take a few minutes to and then answer those three questions to one another. So go. Find a group. All right, let's wrap this piece up very quickly. Does anybody want to share something, one thing that they got from an answer to one? God is just. Good. You got the big picture. Good job. 
All right, we're going to flex here a little bit. I'm going to do this in order to, just for the sake of time, I'm going to read the second piece of it, the second reading for all of us, and then again, take another few minutes and answer the same three questions for the second, the last reading. So the second, the second reading is Obadiah chapter 1, verses 15 through 21. This is New American. For the day of the Lord draws near on all the nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your dealings will return on your own head. Because just as you drank on my holy mountain, all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and swallow. And all become as if they'd never existed. But on Mount Zion, there will be those who escape. And it will be holy. And the house of Jacob will possess the possessions. Then the house of Jacob will be a fire. And the house of Joseph a flame. But the house of Esau will be as stubble, and they will set them on fire and consume them, so there will be no survivor in the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Then those of the Negev, which is the south, will possess the mountains of Esau, those of the Shephelah, the Philistine plain, and they will also possess the territory of Ephraim, the territory of Samaria, and Benjamin will possess Gilead. And the exiles of this host of the sons of Israel, who are among the Canaanites as far as Zarephath, and the exiles of Jerusalem, who are in Sepharad, will possess the cities of the Negev. The deliverers will ascend Mount Zion to judge the Mount of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. Okay, one more time with your, with your crew. Answer, see if you can answer the three questions. What does this say about God? What does this say about man? And what should we obey? There's a slightly different focus in the second half than the first half of the first half of the book here. So we'll take a, we'll take a, a couple of minutes. Go. All right, let's wrap this up. Let's just pray. Father, I do thank you for your word, and I do want to have a soft heart towards your word. I want to I want to understand your message towards Edom. I want to understand your message to Israel. I want to understand what here is for me to obey and for us to learn from, God. Give us grace, Lord, as we read your word. Teach us how to dig in. Teach us how to absorb. Teach us how to understand. Teach us how to obey, Father. What a blessing that will be. What an encouragement, what a challenge it will be to our lives. Amen. Amen. Three questions. What does it say about God? What does it say about man? And what should we obey? Very quickly, I have some thoughts, of course, of what I think I've learned and what I think it says about these things. That does anybody very quickly want to share any thoughts or highlights from the second reading? You didn't know this is going to be a quiz from the stage, did you? Say so what? God delivers. God delivers. Who did he deliver? He delivered the Israelites. He the Israelites. That's right. He's protector of the Israelites. That's right. He cares a lot about them. Judge all the nations. Thank you. It's very good. So the second, so now you know a little bit of the historical context, and you've read for yourself the judgment that Obadiah has against Edom. God is calling out the sin of Edom. So here's my highlight from this first reading. And this is Obadiah verse 1, chapter, verses 11 and 12. On that day you stood aside, God talking, Obadiah talking to Edom, you stood aside on the day that strangers carried off his wealth. 
the, the Philistines carried off the wealth of Jerusalem. And foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem. You too were like one of them, but you should not have gloated over your brother on the day of his misfortune. You should not have rejoiced over the people of Judah on their day of ruin. You should not have boasted on the day of their distress. Here's my highlight from the second reading. Obadiah chapter 1 verse 18. The people of Israel will be a raging fire in Edom, a field of dry stubble. The descendants of Joseph will be a flame roaring across the field, devouring everything. There will be no survivors in Edom. I, the Lord, have spoken. Last week, Amos said, there's going to be fire. There's going to be fire. And there's that image again, fire. The people of Israel will be a raging fire. The descendants of Joseph will be a flame. God's chosen people, Israel, a fire in a flame. Even in their deep, deep, deep in the midst of their sin, God has a plan for them. He's going to bring his Savior from them. He's going to plant and launch and build his church from this, that Savior. Israel is a raging fire. and Joseph will be a flame. What an amazing picture of how God viewed the nation of Israel, how God viewed his chosen vessel to bring forth his Messiah to the world. So after the judgment of Edom is announced in the first half, the focus returns to the nation of Israel. Interesting. So, what do we make about this? Is this a history lesson? Something interesting, but it's 3,000 years old. The history is useful. There's no doubt that the history is useful because it helps us understand how the Bible came to be and what the relevance is to our life. But Scripture commands us to be reflective, commands us to apply the lesson to ourselves. You read through these passages kind of quick. I'd encourage you, reflect on it. Think about it. What does this mean? Esau was a profane man. Scripture says he was a profane man. Edom was a wicked nation. They both deserved the judgment that's portrayed in Scripture. And yet, in some ways, it's a special tragedy because of how close Edom was to the truth and how close Esau was to the truth throughout his life. Yet, time after time, they hardened her, they hardened her hearts. Esau despised his birthright. He left the land. He hardened his heart against the Israelites when they were wandering in the wilderness. He rebelled and refused to help Judah when they were being attacked by the Philistines. Time after time, they hardened, he hardened his hearts. The Edomites hardened their hearts. They continued to sin, and they earned their judgment. They earned their judgment. You know, it's a reminder to me as I think about application to my life and the application to our body here, that being close to the truth doesn't matter if you don't respond correctly. It doesn't matter if you don't personally receive it. Esau grew up with Isaac. Maybe not such a treat to grow up with Jacob, but he grew up in a very good environment, and yet he never chose to make good decisions himself. Scripture says those who know the law will be judged by the law. Those who don't know the law will be judged without the law. 
I think of the nations that received judgment around Israel. Many of them had no idea what the law was. They'll be judged without the law. The Edomites. And if you dig into it later on, you'll see also the Moab, the Moabites and the Ammonites. They were related to Israel, judged by the law. I think that's part of the reason why Edom was called out here especially. And he's called out other, other prophets due to Isaiah and, and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Amos. All, many of them call out Edom for their sinfulness. They were close. They were close. But ultimately their failure was that even though they were close, they did not believe. They did not respond. And so the challenge is for you and I too, you grow up in an environment like this wonderful church, you grow up in an environment like a wonderful family, or you grow up in an environment where the culture is friendly to your faith, you can take a lot of things for granted. I'm a Christian because I'm an American. I'm a Christian because I'm part of this family, or I'm a Christian because I attend church. I'm a Christian because I got baptized. I'm a Christian because I come forward and take communion every, every month, once a month when we do it. And we're going to talk more about that in a little bit. You're not a Christian because of your proximity to truth. Edom wasn't favored by God because he was Isaac's son. Ultimately, Jacob had a heart for God. His sons imperfectly had a heart for God. Esau rebelled and rejected every single time. What are you doing? If you're growing up in an environment where you are blessed... And you are prosperous, not just physically or materially prosperous, but you're growing up in an environment, you live in a culture where you are supported and encouraged, whether it's a nation, a political culture, a family culture, or this church culture. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? Are you hardening your heart? Or are you, say, are you hearing God's voice calling to you? You hear his truth. Jesus Christ is Lord. He died for your sins. He offers you salvation as a free gift. God established this plan from ancient history. You have a basic truth, and now you've got to do something with it. You've got to do more with it than what Edom did and what Esau did. So I want to, at the point of application for me is, don't be satisfied with proximity to truth. Don't harden your heart if you hear something that you're supposed to do. Embrace it. Say to the Lord, yes, Lord, I want this for myself. This applies. I remember as a young man growing up and being, uh, whatever, confused, depressed, anxious, whatever, not really understanding what faith was all about, especially for you as younger people. Own your faith. Own your faith. This is between you and God. It's not between you and your parents. It's not between you and your church. It's not between you and the culture that you're in. You are personally responsible for your faith. I'm exhorting you. Believe. Trust him. Talk to him directly and own your faith. Don't come to church because your parents come to church. I mean, you should come. If they tell you to come to church, you should go to church. But don't, that shouldn't be the only reason you do it. Own your faith. Obey the Lord. Soften your heart. This applies to us as well as adults. I get it. I really do. 
But my heart, the burden of my heart is for each one of us, especially younger people, own your faith. Trust him yourself. Seek him yourself. It's maybe, maybe for some of you it'll be easy. Maybe for some of you it's a tough thing and you don't know where to start. If you're in the latter, if you're in the latter camp and you're like, I'm not sure what to do. I'm not sure what to say. I say, praise God. Because if you're struggling with that and you're seeking him, he cares. He listens. He wants to connect with you if you want to connect with him. So connect with him. Say, Lord, help. The man in the New Testament, he said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Start there. Start there. Esau missed it. The Edomites missed it. He had the right upbringing, the right family, the right geography, but he did not inherit a relationship with God. He did not inherit a relationship with God. Esau failed to own his own relationship with God. Edomites pushed the Israelites away and by extension pushed God away. Isaiah says in chapter 55, it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Seek the Lord while he may be found implies there's a time, there's a little urgency. There's, this, is when, this is the window you have to do that. Esau ran out of time. Edomites ran out of time. They were judged. They were scattered. They were taken into captivity. They didn't have a promise of restoration like Israel did. Judgment will come. Seek the Lord while he may be found. I'd like to invite Dave, if you would come forward, please. We're going to take communion here in a, in a few moments. But before you come and take communion, I'd like you to reflect. <sighs> communion, Jesus, Jesus offered, gave us communion as a way to remember what he did for us. But there's an aspect of it where this is a statement of what you believe, not just what you do. It's a statement of what you believe. This is not a tradition that you inherit. Isaiah 53, 5. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus suffered for you? If you don't believe that, then don't come forward. Scripture tells us to partake in communion with a clear conscience. Don't affirm something that you don't believe. Don't affirm something that you don't believe. Like Esau, you cannot inherit faith. You can't, it's not going to rub off on you because the person next to you is doing something spiritual or churchy. You must believe it for yourself. Isaiah 53, 6. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We've left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. If you believe this, I invite you to come forward. If you don't believe it, don't come forward. Don't come forward, even if you have before. Now, I want you to say, sit there and be mad. If this is the point of indecision or reflection or even anxiety for you, talk to someone. I love you. Your parents love you. The people in these seats, we, we love you. We love each other. Talk to one another. Examine your conscience. Really understand what's going on when God calls us to something.